Please stand. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Que has visto de camino, María en la mañana. A mi Señor glorioso, la tumba abandonará. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. El Señor esté con ustedes. Lectura del Santo Evangelio según San Juan. El primer día después del sábado, estando todavía oscuro, fue María Magdalena el sepulcro y vio removida la piedra que lo cerraba. Echo a correr. Llegó a la casa donde estaban Simón Pedro y el otro discípulo a quien Jesús amaba, y les dijo, Se han llevado de sepulcro al Señor y no sabemos dónde no habrían puesto. María se había quedado llorando junto al sepulcro de Jesús sin dejar de llorar. Se asomó al sepulcro y vio dos ángeles vestidos de blanco, sentados en el lugar donde había estado el cuerpo de Jesús, una en la, una en la cabecera, cabecera y en otro junto a los pies. Y los ángeles le preguntaron, ¿Por qué estás llorando, mujer? Ella les contestó, Porque se han llevado a mi Señor y no sé dónde lo habrían puesto. Dicho esto, miró hacia atrás y vio a Jesús de pie, pero no sabía que era Jesús. Entonces, él le dijo, Mujer, ¿por qué estás llorando? ¿A quién buscas? Ella, creyendo que era el jardinero, le respondió, Señor, si tú te lo llevaste, dime dónde lo has puesto. Jesús le dijo, María, ella, y volvió y exclamó, Rabuni, que en hebreo significa maestro. Jesús le dijo, déjame ya, porque todavía no he subido al Padre. Ve a decir a mis hermanos, suba a mi Padre y su Padre, y a mi Dios y su Dios. María Magdalena se fue a ver a los discípulos para decirles que había visto al Señor y para darles un mensaje. And on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb very early in the morning while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. Mary stayed outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent down over the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet of the body where Jesus had been. And they said to her, woman, Why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. And she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then they reported what he told her. Palabra del Señor. Gloria a ti, Señor Jesus. Siéntate, por favor. Please be seated. First of all, I apologize uh, for the music or lack thereof. I did have real instrumentalists, and I honestly don't know what's happened to them. So that was a surprise that didn't surprise. These things happen. So today is, apart from a very important day for the two of you, an important day in the life of the church. It's the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, whom we just heard about in the Gospel. Mary's the one who follows Jesus, is friends with Jesus, and on that first Sunday after he died, goes to the tomb and finds it empty. In the early church, Mary Magdalene is called the Apostle to the Apostles because our, the word apostle is where we get our word postal, like the postman, the postal service. It's someone who's sent. And so Mary Magdalene is sent from the tomb to tell the eleven, and the eleven then are ultimately sent by Jesus to go and tell the world. Something very funny happens in this gospel. Something that I think is worth reflecting on, especially on the day of a marriage. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus risen from the dead, which is strange on the one hand, because later on when he appears, people seem to know immediately that it's him. He's literally walking around with holes in his hands and his feet. It's kind of hard to ignore. But she comes to recognize him when he says her name, when he calls her by name. Mary. And she responds, Rabuni, which the text says means teacher. Except it doesn't. <laughs> Rabuni is a made up word. Uh, Hebrew and Aramaic don't work like uh, Spanish, so you can't just put Ido or Ida on the end of it, and now it's cutesy. And that's exactly what she did here, which means something very cool. This is Jesus' nickname. It was a name that Mary called him. Maybe it was hers alone, or maybe it was sort of an inside joke with the group, right? But, but, but she, she teases him when she recognizes him raised from the dead. She calls him by the most affectionate name she has. Now, every couple I've ever known has some sort of pet name for each other. And that's important because that's how close a relationship God wants to have with you. He wants to call you by a pet name. And he wants you to have one for him too. Some of the people that come into the Adoration Chapel here, a chapel where for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we have, we have open for people to pray. They, they call it la presencia de Diosito. Now, for us in English, that would be little God. That's not it, right? It's, 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 it's mine. It's mine. And that's what happens with nicknames. We give someone a name and they're ours in a way they weren't before. 
We had to take that reading because of the feast day, but there's something providential in this too, because that first reading was from the Song of Songs. Now, if you've never read the Song of Songs, it's worth going back and looking. It is a strangely erotic love poem that is stuck right in the middle of the Old Testament. The conceit of the story is that it's a love song going back and forth between King Solomon, the son of David, and the Queen of Sheba. And it's written like in verse like that. So he has a line, she has a line, back and forth, back and forth. And we caught one set of back and forth with them today. This is also just usually one of the wedding readings which is why when I opened the book, I realized this was meant to be. All those years apart, all that long, long time separated by half a nation or half a world, how many times did your spirit rise in the night and wander the streets looking for your beloved? And how did it feel when just a few weeks ago you were able to come together not for 10 days, two weeks, not snatching or stealing corners of time and space, but to come together for real, knowing that this was finally happening. I want you to remember that feeling. Those of you that are close to them, I want you to remember their faces in those first couple of days because I saw you within 24 hours, and like, the life was rolling off them. You couldn't be grumpy in their presence. I tried very hard. Somebody messed up my parking lot. Their love is contagious, and that's good. That's important. Don't lose that. You can't have the joy of that sort of a reunion every day, but don't lose that contagion. We need it which is why the church does marriages here in this context, in the church building, a place where sacred stuff happens, it's true, but but, but specifically drawn up here near the altar. Now, to that end, there's two things that I I, I need to say just to sort of explain uh, what's happening here, And, and that is the peculiar way that Catholics think and talk about marriage. I know that we're coming here from different spaces and places, which is why I want to say this. There's no judgment on this. This is This is just how we understand what's happening. So Catholics insist on that word sacraments to talk about marriage. You heard it in the opening prayer. And that's not a slight at our Protestant friends who don't think marriage is a sacrament. But but the reason we insist on the word is this. That word sacrament in English comes to us, it's a translation, a Latin translation of a Greek word, mysterion. So in some ways, a better translation would be mystery. But the reason they didn't translate it as mystery is because this isn't like a, like a Sherlock Holmes, a whodunit. This isn't the kind of thing that can be solved. How do you solve a problem like Cass and Joanna? It's more like a mystery before which you fall silent. In fact, that's what the MY at the beginning means. It's where we get our word mute from. It's the mystery of a wide open vista at sunrise. Or that thing that happens when you're holding a baby and for the first time you realize they can really see you. Or when sitting across a table or nestled next to each other in the couch or at a stoplight in the car 
you get lost in the eyes of the one you love more than anything in the world. It's that kind of a mystery, not the kind of thing that could be solved, the kind of thing that could only be basked in. You might say, okay, Father, well, then why did they use this other word? Good question. Glad you asked. Sacramentum was an oath that a Roman soldier would swear to his superior officer. Desertion was a big problem in the old days, and so the Romans made all of the guys that joined the legion put their hands in their superior's hands and swear that if they ran away on the battlefield, their commander had permission to kill him. And this was considered so brave, so ballsy, that everybody who showed up would fall silent. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the only use of the word mysterium, sacrament, in the New Testament is about marriage. It comes at the end of that long passage from St. Paul that we don't read much anymore because it tends to cause fights. But he's talking about marriage and how husbands and wives ought to relate to each other. And at the end, he says, this marriage is a great mystery, the sacrament of Christ and of his church. The other thing that's important to know about how we do what we do here today is that while it's, it's coded and spliced, two languages, two cultures, two religious traditions, two different worlds, right? That it's centered on the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. So Catholics have their weddings at Mass, that is in the church's celebration of Holy Communion, because we see the words of the Lord, this is my body, this is my blood, most perfectly revealed in the ordinary world and the ordinary sense of things in a married couple. What other situation or relationship do you have to sacrifice in more than in a marriage? What other kind of relationship do you have to give of yourself in more than a marriage? When else are you going to find yourself thinking you're so beat up and bruised you're ready to die than in a marriage? Marriage is joyous and it is sorrowful. It is good and it is bad. It is good times and it is bad times. It's that whole strange dynamic that makes up a human life. But because we see what it means to be human most perfectly expressed in the person of Jesus, and because the person of Jesus draws us into the very heart of God by his divinity, we could not do this but else. Because here we see the Lord's sacrifice revealed. We experience it new. And so sharing the fruits of that sacrifice seal the sacrament. You know, when a president is inaugurated, he swears his inaugural oath, and then a number of things happen to sort of show that he's now officially the president, right? So his, the pin on his lapel changes, right? He's the only one that gets to wear his. He's the one that now takes the seat in the Oval Office. Nobody else sits in his seat even the vice president when he's not there. Well, the same kind of thing happens here. So after Cass and Joanna have sworn their oaths to each other, then they literally put on new clothes that they and only they will ever wear. They've come in dressed nice, but this, this remains. And it is, of course, the most perfect shape, a circle, that which never ends. They'll then exchange the aras, and aras are coins. They're a sign of God's uh, benevolence, of his bounty. 
and they'll share it with each other. Cass will first share the coins with Joanna, and then she'll return the coins that she's been given and share them back with him. And this is a sign of the give and take that makes up a marriage, of the need to share, not only financially, but also that. And, and perhaps most importantly, to recognize that the primary vehicle for God's grace in your life from this day forward is the person whose hand you're holding right now. Ultimately, they'll be tied together with a lasso, which is exactly what it sounds like, except nobody's going to from the back of the church. And this is itself a sign of them bound together, tied up for good. A year or so ago, I had a couple, and the bride was very late, very late, like an hour. And so the poor groom was, was very nervous, and uh, he hadn't had anything to eat or drink. And so while I got him through the first half of the service, about halfway through, he starts bobbing and weaving. Now you can see, based on where we put couples here, there's no way for any of you to get up fast enough to catch somebody. So don't get any ideas. And this altar's too big for me to get around. So the only thing I can do is catch the eyes of the bride. So. I'm standing there at the altar doing my thing, and I catch her eyes, and I go, Joanna. And she gets it. She catches the message. They've already got this lasso on them. It's tied them together, right? So she kind of shimmies that thing down, takes a deep breath, and holds them up. He passes out, and that lasso, against all odds, holds. You too. Against all odds, great, great struggle. You hold. So hold each other, hand, head, and heart, today and always. But together, always hold your hands with someone else. Someone who calls you each and together by name.